Today is Tuesday, May 13th, 2014, and this is episode 67 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me as usual tonight is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? I am frantically running around this place. Any any particular reason? Ah, uh, you know... Normal, just being uh, frantic. Just being frantic, yeah. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm glad I could stop you long enough to have our weekly chat. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Our our 12 people. Actually, I think we're up to 13 now. Really, uh, really like this, so. 13? Wow. I know, it's crazy. We must be doing something moderately kind of maybe right. Could be. Or, or people are just waiting for the epic train wreck. <laughs> That's probably more likely. <laughs> All right. So, as usual, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent our employers, past, present, or future. So, I, unfortunately, uh, Bob, you know, he, he was unavailable for comment. I believe he may be in Iran doing something with that drone. I don't know for sure. Hmm. Hmm. He, he he's squirrely. He gets around. That's for sure. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into stories. The first first one is uh, really kind of a sad thing. It, this comes from Computer World. And the title I'm gonna, is. Oh, go I'm gonna file this one under no good deed. Yes, no, no good deed goes unpunished. Learn from their mistakes. <laughs> Stand back, ma'am. I'm a scientist. All right. <laughs> so Computer World has this report, uh, this this uh, news article uh, titled, IT Malpractice, Doc Operates on Server, Cost Hospitals $4.8 Million. The headline here really is that the, uh, the, the Department of Health and Human Services here in the U.S. levied the largest fine they have to date against this, this uh, two, these two groups of hospitals. And apparently what happened was a doctor from one of the hospitals, for whatever reason, it is really not known and not discussed, had apparently been running a personal server. And this personal server was at the other hospital, and in the process of allegedly decommissioning the server, instead of taking it off the network, it actually apparently exposed it to the internet and it was subsequently indexed by Google and the uh, the contents of 6800 patients were uh, uh were were found when a person was searching for information about their deceased partner and and apparently some of this information turned up so yeah this is um definitely uh, uh an a lesson in what not to do uh, you know the 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 thing that really surprises me is in the context of of PHI we we know that this is really quite serious. I, I'm just I'm I'm kind of surprised that 
Well, a server will be allowed to run on a personal system. And that there's apparently some, some relatively lax processes here. Delete personal system, insert cloud. Well, fair enough. And, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, in the context of what I do for my day job, there's a lot of consternation about using cloud for regulated kinds of, of workloads. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a dicey proposition. You're, you're, you know, you're kind of stepping out on a, on a limb. So the doctor clearly meant no malintent. He was purely trying to help. He was just offering his services to facilitate whatever project they were trying to do. And he didn't do it well, and bad things happened. Um, I think this is a, a wonderful example of you don't always understand the consequences. You don't always understand how easily and maliciously Google will find your stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So I, think, I think we should blame Google. But, but on, a, on a serious note, this very much talks to me about, and this is very contrary to everything going on today, this is, is fully against all the BYOD initiatives, all the cloud initiatives, agile computing environments, all these things where things just spin up and, and projects and information escapes. It doesn't get launched. And so you don't have this oversight. You don't have this IT sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, big brother and the, the, the no department there to protect you when this stuff needs to be regulated or pulled down or, or whatever it may be. And here's a great example of through no one's fault other than just not following process, most likely, that was there for probably a really good reason, $4.8 million fine. Yeah. And, you know, it's a rough one. It's, it's especially rough when you start looking at this in terms of what about startups when everybody does everything? Right. And nobody is, you know, the, the problem I have with that, and I've worked for a number of startups, is when everybody does everything, nobody's truly accountable because that's, nobody truly owns it. That's a great point. Um, don't get me started on that, and I will never get hired by a startup again. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, this is just a really interesting one to me. So, you know, I think the lesson here is as much as it sucks, you've got to keep the IT department involved. And especially when you're dealing with anything that can be regulatory compliance or anything you can love you find against you, you've got to go through the right steps. And and then if IT makes the mistake, you know, so be it. Um, but it's a rough one. Yeah, and I, I, for me, it, it I think it underscores the importance of as you as you mentioned. You know, we we're all trying to become much more agile, both in in the you know the metaphorical and the literal sense of the word we we can't lose sight of certain practices need to persist even in those kinds of environments and you know activation and deactivation kinds of processes are are really important and without them you end up in this kind of a a thing and 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 I I do believe one of the things IT departments and, and security departments are going to be challenged with in the future is figuring out where the right balance is because obviously the expectation is, you know, IT is going to become leaner and meaner and whatnot, but we can't, you know, we, we can't stop some of the good practices. Otherwise we're going to end up like this. I think you said it far more elegantly than I did. So, yeah, I think we uh, violently agree there. And, and you know, there was one other point I, I 
wrote down related to this. And it's not, again, it's not really clear exactly the sequence of events or, or how this particular situation came to be. But I'm left thinking that the fact that there were two different hospitals working as a joint venture together probably played it in a part here. And I know from personal experience, when, when you are working on these joint ventures or, you know, partnerships, you can really find some interesting potholes because people think that there's, there's assumptions made, bad, sometimes pretty bad assumptions made about who's doing what, who's responsible for what, how things work on the other side. And in this particular case, the server that, you know, that, that went awry was at the other hospital from this doctor. And so, again, it's not entirely clear that's exactly what happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does. And I, and I think, to me, in, in my experience, you know, we've got to make sure it's, it's really well understood in these kinds of environments who's responsible for what and, and what you know, your particular responsibility is. So I would agree. All right. Moving on. This is um, not exactly a news story, but I thought it was pretty interesting. It is a uh, uh, an article or a story, an essay, I don't know what you call it, from Richard Baitlick, who is the chief security officer of Mandiant, now FireEye. Um, and th- the title of it is Strategy Not Speed, What Today's Digital Defenders Must Learn from Cybersecurities early thinkers. And I, you know, other than the fact that the word cyber appears about 187 times in this, uh, in this paper, it's pretty interesting. And the, the core, kind of the core idea or theme behind the paper is that back at the very beginning of the information security problem in the seventies and eighties, and even the early nineties, there were a lot of a lot of problems encountered, right? And and he goes through some of the history, you know, the the whole Wiley hacker story and, and some of the others, which um which resulted in some kind of interesting thinking and and lots of uh, you know academic information or a- academic papers being written and whatnot. And a lot of it was around the concept of monitoring and and. Throughout the paper, he he goes on to say, you know, at some point, we turned away from monitoring, and uh, and I like I specifically like the fact that he he named our uh, our former stomping ground in the in the paper, and uh, now we are once again talking about monitoring as if it's you know something new and and amazing, but it's really kind of an old concept that that uh, is just kind of showing that it, it really was potentially the one of the right ways to look at things. So interesting, uh, interesting thing. The other thing he, he talks about is, and I'm not exactly sure how this fit in. It kind of seemed like a, an awkward smash in, but it was worth mentioning. He, he brings up the, that security programs really need to be set up from the top down rather than the bottom up. You know, the point, his point is that 
we shouldn't be driving our security programs based on the, the technology that we use. The program should be based on the mission that our organization serves. So, 100% agree with that statement. I, I say this all the time to customers, and some of them get it, some of them look at me blankly and cock their head sideways like a dog, that the tool should be the last choice. Mm-hmm. The, the people, the process, the culture, the threat, the, the data, those are the things we look at first. And then we figure out how tools support that, that goal or that mission. Yep. Uh, but that's tough because when you think about it, all the vendors of tools, they have their own little versions of, you know, our tool fixes X. And, you know, that's where all the, for lack of a better term, the knowledge share and the mind share is coming from right now is vendors trying to sell their tools. And they're the ones out there pimping their vision and, and you know, not blaming them. We, you know, they all do it. I've done it. Um, but it's not a holistic viewpoint and it's not a best practice. It is a, you have pain? We can make pain X go away. It's, right. it's not the right way to do it. Yep. Selling a <clears throat> selling a point thing to make a to to deal with a symptom. Now don't get me wrong, that tool that does solve that symptom may be absolutely worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. But it takes a bigger picture discussion to determine if that is the case. Right. Or if there's bigger fish to fry or if that's the most right. the most economical use of of money. And- You know, not to get off on a minor rant here, but also, do you have the staff available to run that tool properly once you get it on board? Mm -hmm. This is one thing I see often is people buy tools, throw it at a problem. And if you're not devoting the appropriate level of staff time to the care and feeding, monitoring, and management of that tool, you're getting a false sense of security, and it's probably atrophying very rapidly in your environment. Yeah, it's almost like you're being compliant and not secure, huh? What is this? Compliant and not (laughs) secure? That's, Crazy! That's what they oh. call foreshadowing. Hmm. I'll give you some non-compliant security, Mister. All right. Well, before we go there, um, the the next story we have comes from ZDNet, and the uh, the the title is Microsoft Report: Downloaded Malware Exploded in Late 2013. And the headline here is, or or the kind of key takeaway from them is that there was a a pretty significant decrease in the exploitation of vulnerabilities, at least in Microsoft products, between 2010 and 2013, and a pretty dramatic uptick in, I guess for lack of a better word, social engineering or deception, where where the attackers are are essentially tricking people into installing malware, either through a, uh, an email with a, with a malicious attachment or as part of a, a download that they get from the internet which has you know fake software uh, sorry fake security software or codecs or those sorts of things and uh, you know it's a it's an interesting point and uh, you know the the actual report they cite comes from the Microsoft Security Intelligence Report Intelligence Report which is itself a glorious 152 page document this is like you know the invoke thing nowadays to publish big monster reports of all the data you have, which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's it's it used to be just the Verizon breach report was the go-to report. Now I've got like seven of them to read, and it's man, I gotta sleep. Yeah, and it, it's 152 pages. It, 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 that's a little how how can that be justified in the day of tweeting? I mean, if it doesn't fit in 140 characters, that's right. How how am I supposed to absorb that? 
Do you know how long this, my... this thing would take to tweet out? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm distracting you. Go back to your story. No, th- um, I, 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 I did want to rag on it for a little bit because it is so long, and I haven't had I haven't had time to read it to be perfectly honest. So but... you don't even know if it's worth the length. It could be pure gold through the entire report. Well, I made it to page 22, and Uh-oh. and I wanted to talk about the report or the diagram that's on page 22. Okay, which which essentially says that the predominant way people are getting owned, at least by the the way that Microsoft is measuring this, comes from our friend and yours, the Ask.com. No, sorry, Java. Yeah, no surprise there. I mean, hugely predominant. Holy cow, I just pulled up the report. Yeah. 90-plus percent predominant. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, most of what's left is Adobe Reader. Note IE is nowhere, like, even in the picture there, which I find suspect. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they... Yeah, it was a problem back in 2010, but, oh, we fixed all those problems now. Now, to be fair, IE's made tremendous strides. It's actually a relatively secure browser these days, Um, you know, when zero days aren't cropping up. But, hey, to be fair, that could happen to almost anybody, depending on... You know, that's, they're not the only ones who can fall victim zero day. So I'm certainly not throwing any stones from my glass house there. Yeah, I, I think earlier in the report, they uh, they they mentioned something. You know that that a lot of the IE zero days are, and and I suspect it's because of, of the patching regiment that Microsoft has now. A lot of the IE zero days are really existing in targeted attacks, and so they're not. Uh, my interpretation, at least is that they're not hanging around long enough to to really be massively or massively exploited so hmm. which is a plus and a minus yep absolutely you know that's that's sort of the fear of a state sponsored true zero day is and this is the I was having a discussion without threat intelligence earlier today same problem with antivirus and other tools if it truly is a zero day truly targeted not widely used how are all these sort of, you know, we saw it someplace else first, technology is going to help you. Well, I mean, that's why we need the Threat Intelligence 2.0. Next gen. Yeah, next gen, right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's clear. that It's just clear to me. That's. I think if we use quantum mechanics, we can actually predict at least three days into the future <laughs> what will be detected. <laughs> Something like that. If we reverse the tachyon field of our threat All intent, right, yeah. Uh, I think we got to go on. <laughs> All right. Man, I'm going to get funding. You'll be sorry then. Yep, that's true. I will be. So, any other thoughts from the Microsoft reports? Uh, well, you know, someday I'll have a, a time to read the other freaking 130 pages, <laughs> and I might. All right. Well, anyhow, the uh, the the last thing we had. It, it, this is something that has been requested a number of times by uh, some of our thirteen listeners, uh, which very kindly sent us email to info at defensivesecurity dot org. Hint, 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 hint. We love it. Great discussions happen on uh, on that. But Jerry actually jumps around. Gleefully, like a twelve-year-old girl, when he gets email to info that's at defensivesecurity.org. That's true. It's, 
It's you know, someday I may post a video of it. Yeah, and I'll even wear pants. As the judge dictated. That's very true. All right. Moving on. So so anyhow, the the topic is compliance versus security. And a, a couple of times I think I know I've particularly made a disparaging comment about compliance versus security and how compliance doesn't equal security. And I, you know, I've gotten into some interesting debates with people on email uh, to our to our email address, and and also uh, over the course of my career, I've had innumerable debates about this. And so, you know, again, my position is that compliance and security are two different things. There's potentially overlap, but you know, we should, maybe we should start by defining what we think compliance and security is. But Jerry, I'm PCI compliant. My auditor just told me that. I must be secure. That's right. Absolutely. Until you get owned and then you're not PCI compliant anymore. But they told me that I had to do this and I did it. Yeah, and uh, I know and and you did it and you're still not secure. What's up with that? That is the question. So so, uh, again, I think the starting point for this discussion is defining what compliance and security is. In my mind, compliance in this context means adhering to internal or external policies or regulations. And security means that you are maintaining your environment in a state that is reasonably well protected. So, what do you think of that? I I think it's pretty good. I I might be slightly more cynical. Okay. And say compliance is getting the auditor, whether it be internal or external, to agree that you meet his or her Ooh, good requirements. Disti- good, good distinction. I like it. And typically it is often a point in time mm-hmm. for that particular discussion. Security is a lot squishier. I would say that to be secure is that you've mitigated the appropriate risks for your environment to the appropriate level that your executives are comfortable with that risk for the appropriate amount of cost. Because I don't think you can ever be truly secure and conduct business. You must incur risk. Yeah, you you must accept risk, right? Right. So I think the job of being secure is to mitigate that risk to a level that is acceptable. Uh, across multiple metrics of, you know, understanding your threat landscape, understanding the culture of your environment, understanding how much you can spend on security. So, I mean, you could have an easy button and say being secure means you won't be hacked. But there's always those one percentile cases. And as I have seen, getting close to 100% secure that last 80% of that curve of cost starts going up exponentially. Sure. It's really tough to get that last 10, 15, 20% of security in a, you know, sort of theoretical way nailed down. So, yeah, right. kind of a long answer to your question, but, and, and I think the frustration or, or the core of this sort of discussion comes in when people quite rightly ask, 
with all good intention, why isn't being compliant being secure? Right. And I think there's a lot of things we could say on that. And I think that's the point of this particular segment of our show. Uh, yes, exactly right. So, so one of the some of the common discussions that I have frequently, and in fact with some of the listeners, is again compliance can be internally with an internal policy or an external policy, like let's say PS, PCI or, or regulation. And if you are compliant, right? If the if the regulation or policy is written appropriately and you are compliant, I, and by the way, I'm I'm playing the other side right now, so I'm I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to uh, to argue for the for the defense here. If you if you are if you have a policy that's appropriately written and you manage to that policy that you you, you seemingly by default or by definition are secure because you have a policy that says these are the things that we need in order to be secure and you've demonstrated that you're doing them and so kind of mathematically you would seem to be secure and and the, the I think where that falls down is <clears throat> policies and regulations tend not to to be all that prescriptive and they can't be otherwise you end up with thousands and thousands of pages that are really just not possible to comply with. And the, the challenge is that IT is, is, is so variable. It can be implemented in you know, an infinite number of ways. And so it, it really becomes a matter of interpretation on you know, what is required for a specific environment and the the concepts that are are delivered in these policies or regulations i think are generally good however they don't again they don't descend down into uh the level that's needed and and i think the other thing i'll say about about compliance regimes is that my experience, they tend to be a little bit toxic. They they are kind of counterintuitive because when you are, let's say you are a, you know, an organization that, that needs to be PCI compliant, that becomes the high watermark. And once you, once you get over that high watermark, it becomes really difficult to justify additional expense on security because, you know, You've, you're PCI compliant, even though you know that there is, you know, there's some other other things that need to be addressed. But you know that's not in PCI. So let's say you happen to know that um, you know <clears throat> some specific nuance in your IT environment isn't well addressed in PCI or was overlooked or you know what have you. You're, you're kind of swimming upstream once you have that. You know, once you've been once you've been blessed by your QSA. Well, one thing I, I have for my notes on this topic that I want to pop in here is, one thing I see very often is that PCI is a costly endeavor. And so for a lot of folks, what they will do is they will segment their network so that all of their PCI assets that are in scope are heavily isolated from the rest of their environment. And then they only apply PCI to the in-scope assets. Yes. 
Which makes sense. However, now all of the benefits, quote-unquote, of PCI that's wrapped around your cardholder data environment is now no longer applying to other bits of information in your environment that may be of interest. HR, for instance, or you know whatever it is you do as, as your secret sauce in your organization. So PCI, as an example, can be only covering a portion of your environment. And as you mentioned, could give you a false sense of security. Right. And I, I would say, kind of like you... You pointed out a lot of organizations strive hard to to, to minimize the scope that that is involved, and and so you know I wrote some things about this uh, back a while ago when after we found out that Fazio Mechanical was the you know the source of the target breach, and the you know that that whole segment, as far as we know, was not part of targets cardholder data environment. And so what does that tell you? Well, that tells me that somebody wasn't creative enough to figure out all of the different interplays and, and neither was the QSA. And, and so my, you know, I use that as a, as kind of a case in point to say, look, this is where, in my opinion, compliance versus security falls down because I really think, and, 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 you know, I guess, Part of the problem is, uh, if you're if you have the same people doing one or the other, you, you you may end up at the same place regardless. However, in this kind of a in, in this kind of of a scenario, you know we 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 got our ticket punched that says, oh yeah, you know you 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 you've got it set up right, makes sense, looks good to us, and uh, and and then you get you get compromised. Whereas if you if you were to think about it more holistically and do a much more technical, you know, risk assessment, penetration tests, that sort of thing, you may find out, hopefully you would find out that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have our domain controllers, you know, talking back and forth between, between these different network zones or things like that. And, and I, that's, those are the kinds of, of, of really nuanced details that I think get lost in the context of a compliance regime. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, first I realize I'm saying I mean way too often. I've got to work on that. That's my version of um lately, apparently. But what I mean is you've got a lot of the same thoughts I had, and we did not necessarily coordinate before the show, so I apologize if any of these are redundant, the things you said. But I do want to kind of run down Go for it. some of the thoughts I had, too, and because I agree with you. And you know, a couple of notes that I made as I was sort of thinking about this and – doing a bit of research, is that in many ways compliance becomes, the, in, in my eyes, the minimum necessary. And as you mentioned, for a lot of organizations, it's the benchmark. Yes. But the problem with the compliance regime in general, right, and a lot of this is generalization, you can always nitpick this one way or the other, most compliance mandates don't take into account the individual company's needs, data type, threats, you know, social environment, risk tolerance, budget, all these things that come into play for a true nuanced, informed security decision. You know, it's risk is local. It, it, it's like real estate. It's all local to that individual organization. 
and to their threat landscape. Where compliance is a one-size-fits-all. That doesn't mean that compliance isn't valuable, but this is where it starts to fall down. You know, also, security threats and, and whatnot constantly evolve right. every day. I mean, look, look, look at Heartbleed as an example, right? It happened very rapidly. In fact, you know, we didn't have it as a story, but I, I was reading today that there's now some talk of, oh, you know, that patch that you rushed out there for Heartbleed may have introduced some other issues. You know, yeah. So it's always that sort of knee-jerk reaction that gets us in trouble. Uh, but that's the risk you take, right? You've got to kind of balance that out. But these threats and these circumstances evolve faster than compliance can keep up. So in that case, let's say you know we'll pick on Heartbleed because everybody knows about it. You may shut off certain services. You may do some things to your website that has nothing to do with compliance. Nowhere in compliance to say thou must do this. But it was the right thing to do to keep your environment secure with that threat emerging and evolving. Right. So compliance is kind of a bigger picture strategic view of a lot of things, not very tactical, even though, you know, things like BCI try to get tactical. It's still very strategic, right? They say, hey, you need a web application firewall. Well, how you run that web application firewall matters. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. Yes. So there's a big sort of tactical aspect of it that's left out with compliance. And things change faster than compliance can keep up. I think one of the best is the PCI Council trying to you know, do updates, what is it, every two years now? It used to be every three years. I think it's every two years. Don't yeah. quote me on that. Something like that. Something like that. Things change pretty quick. Um, you know, but the flip side of this is compliance is what gets funding. Compliance is what the execs respond to because they have to. Because there's an external third party that's auditing them or perhaps they're doing a self-audit. I don't know. Yeah. It's something that's easy for them to get their heads around. But it can lead to a false sense of security at the executive level. So I think we as security practitioners need to do a better job of explaining this so that the executives can make the right risk acceptance decisions. Yeah. You know, in in that vein, it also ends up with a, a somewhat quantifiable and definitive end result. Whereas, you know, it's hard to say, Hey, we're, you know, we're secure. It is relatively easy to say, Hey, we passed our, you know, we passed yeah. our, our exam or, or whatever. And, and, and so, you know, you, I think there's a there's a you know the, an intrinsic value and uh, return on investment, so to speak, in uh, you know in, in in passing those kinds of things. And you know, I, I guess one thing I don't want to come across is saying that I am anti uh, you know anti regulation or policy or or that compliance doesn't have a place. I absolutely think it does. I think the point is if you were to look at any one of these regimes. You know, it, PCI, not the least of which I I would imagine they view their policy or their regulation as the floor, and you know they're saying these are the things that you minimally need to be doing, and you ought to be figuring out what additional things are required for your specific environments. But I think people miss that, and in working in a really large organization, I see that, you know, I see that happen even with just internal policy where. You know, when you have a big company, you have to come up with a, a policy that works for everybody. 100% agree with you. I think that's an absolute valid point. You uh, know, one thing that I thought about, too, is 
compliance is often met with this concept that's good enough to please the auditor, but it's not driven by actual business needs. So right. to me, this is akin to you know, you're on a diet and you're keeping a food diary and you cheat. Yes. It's not in a food diary, right? <laughs> but you had a couple extra donuts. All you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. So to game the auditor is not helping you. It, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Unless you truly believe that whatever compliance thing they're going after is not valid to your environment, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I've seen this so many times of how, frankly, I've seen auditors easily tricked and fooled and people worry about passing their audits and you know they pull the wool over the auditor's eyes. And I, I see this as a disservice to the organization. Yeah, and I've been on both sides of that, and I, I I definitely agree. It happens, you know, all the time, and I, I suspect there's some kind of a codependent, you know, psychological condition that could be <laughs> classified there. But, but there, you know, there's there's um there's two other two other things that that I wanted to cover there, and and one of them is something you mentioned a, a little bit ago, and that is. You know, I think you, you you mentioned the WAF, right? And is the WAF you got the WAF great, but is it being run right? And I see that a lot, right? Because some of these things are really complicated. Uh, you know, next gen firewalls or or encryption or or different things. You know, you were required to encrypt the data, right? But is it encrypted well? You know, yeah. And, and or are the keys secure or are they like right next to the encrypted data on the file system you know those those kinds of nuanced details often are completely lost in in a, in kind of just a, a pure compliance mindset because you can say yes the data is absolutely encrypted and mm-hmm. it is and it is except because the keys are right there it doesn't really accomplish anything in 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 the particular uh, scenario that you know that I would I would be imagining, and, and the same thing with firewall. Yep, we got a firewall, but how are you managing it? You know, it, there's there's um, there's lots of things like that. But on the other on the other side, I, I think one of the one of the problems that compliance has when it is kind of this least common denominator, and this is this is a lot harder to quantify. Um, be, not everything makes sense to you. And so if you have to invest in something because it is a, a, a requirement for, for meeting your compliance regime or, or getting, passing your exam or whatever, but it doesn't actually add anything to your organization, that's, that's coming at the expense potentially of something else that might be meaningful. Yeah, I would agree. Everything's a trade-off, right? Everything we do in security is a trade-off between budget, expense, time, energy, risk, ease of use. Everything's a trade-off, right? And and in some cases, I think you can argue some some kinds of compliance and regulatory regimes. You can explain away that sort of thing, and in others, you can't. You know, it's you 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 can't check the box. You don't get the you don't get the ticket punched, uh, but you know they're all they're all different. So that's that's kind of my 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 take. And you know I I I, uh, I look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say. Yeah, I would have one last comment that I and I agree with you 100. By the way, I'd love to get some feedback from the listeners uh, because I, I bet this is a topic that 
probably has some strong opinions. Yep. But the last sort of thing that I had in mind is that compliance is often a static and a point-in-time process based on that annual audit or whatever it may be, assuming that it's an annual audit-type compliance. I view security as an ongoing, everyday discussion and decision process based on high-level strategy and low-level tactics. And that's what I think is the biggest difference. What you decide to do every single day with your business from a security and risk management standpoint is very different than, oh, I got to go meet compliance needs. Yeah. And I think yep. that is the key difference in my mind. I, I think that's good. I agree. That's all I got. All right. Well, you know, it would have been a, it would have been a lot more exciting if we disagreed and we could have fought. But uh, oh well, maybe maybe next time. Uh, you know, lately we've not had much to the debate. We'll have to work on that. We, <laughs> we've been far too in agreement, so we'll have to come up with some more controversial topics. Absolutely. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, I blame Al Gore for all this. It's his fault. That's true. Uh, it's true. You know, maybe uh, maybe my, maybe my whole behavioral. Economics thing will will get us going someday. I fear you're getting too smart for me, Jerry. I may not be able to keep up much longer. Oh, come on! I have to just remember us little people and. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Anyhow, that that uh, that is the show. Um, I, I think we're gonna cut it off a little bit early tonight, and uh, give. Uh, I got to go do some things. I appreciate everyone's time. Look forward to talking to you again next week when we will have more fun things to talk about. And in the meantime, if you have any ideas, comments, feedback, whatever, send them to info at defensivesecurity.org or you can hit us up on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can find the show, back episodes, show notes, links to the things we've talked about at the website www.defensivesecurity.org you can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow his uh, antics flying in a really old airplane recently. Yeah, I'll warn you. I need to post more security stuff. Lately, it's been all aviation nerdiness. Uh, well, sometimes it's good to take a break. And uh, you can follow me at, at Malicious Link. And, you know, my nerdiness has been around behavioral economics lately. So take your pick. I think I think mine's more fun. Yeah, I, I guarantee yours is more fun. <laughs> no doubt about it anyhow uh, we'll be uh, we'll be talking again next week thanks a lot and hey if you like the show tell a friend oh you know that reminds me if you are bored and want something fun to do and uh, and have iTunes go look at the reviews for our show and uh, and take a look at the la- the most recent one it's absolutely hilarious oh no I'm intrigued M- Mr. Mr. No Fluff <laughs> Uh, and by the way, I had nothing to do with it. I don't know who did that, but it is pretty darn funny. Now so. I gotta go look. I'm gonna go look right now. Not that not that that can you know prevent us from slowing down the close of the show, but I'm gonna go look. All right, have a good one. Good night. Goodbye. Bye bye.